Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? Have you fed them with the bread of tears? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts, let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see, have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire, they have cut it down, may they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, on the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord, God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Good morning. It's good to be together this morning. Uh, Psalm of restoration. And we do. We want God to restore us. We want God to... uh, God to help us get back on track and maybe this break in the normal routine of things will cause us to uh, think differently about what we do and we can be praying that we, um, that we maybe drop off things that shouldn't have been and maybe become more aware of things that should be involved in what we're doing. And I tell you, I'll, just, I'll try not to have a panic attack this morning with people sitting in front of me looking at me. And uh, if any of you miss having my face right up in your face on the computer screen, there's a couple seats right down here in front. I know, I know you want to be able to see every blemish on my face and every hair and all the rest. But anyways, it's, it's good to be together. And uh, let's, let's pray and ask God just to lead us in our time as we get back to being... Uh, a church that is physically present together. Father, we're thankful for your love, for your goodness to us. Thank you for, for each one that is here this morning present and for each one that is listening through the computer. Uh, Lord, we want to glorify you this morning. More importantly than how we gather or how we listen through technology, uh, the point is, Lord, we want to be uh, worshiping you in spirit and in truth, as, as your son says in the word. We want to be worshiping you with correct hearts. We want to be attentive this morning to what you are saying to us. And we recognize that uh, this thing that we call church, uh, that we call worship, 
is not so much a matter of uh, the form as it is our heart's desire to connect with you and to exalt your name. And it's so important, Lord, that we come to you with this right heart attitude. And we want to do that this morning. We want to come focused on you, attentive to your word, and opening up our hearts in praise and thanksgiving. So lead us in our time together this morning. Uh, Speak to us through your word. Speak to us through the power of your spirit in our lives. And we trust that what goes on here, our, our connection that we're making together here, not only with one another, but with you, will honor your name. That's our desire. And thank you, Lord. Thank you for being willing to use us uh, to be instruments of your praise in this world here. Thank you. Amen. Well, I was going to start out with having an exam this morning. I just thought, you know, we need to have an exam. because Not because, you know, what I say is so important and what I've been saying as we've been preaching, but I think this message that we've been studying in Acts has been so important for us as a congregation during this time. And I think we need to understand that, that, you know, yeah, if, if, if we want to, we can find great messages from the Word of God all over the place. Uh, we can, and I encourage you to do that, watch messages throughout the week. I know some of you have become more aware of some of the great preachers who are out there, the great teachers who are out there during this time as you've looked to have uh, sustenance in your own home. But even as we gather as a local congregation, a part of Christ's church, God speaks specifically to us as a group of people. And I've been amazed at how specific it seems his message is for us in this time from the book of Acts. And so I just was thinking, yeah, an exam would be good. Make sure you were listening. Make sure you got it. But we're not having an exam this morning. So don't worry about that. I know that some of you, especially students who've been away from school, have started to get sweaty palms when I talked about exams. Uh, But anyways, do you remember what we've been studying? Do you remember what we studied last week? The lame man at the temple gate who was healed? Why is that a significant event? Why was that a significant event? event. It's a miracle, of course. Um, It was a physical transformation, a 3D dimensional object lesson of the spiritual transformation that God wants to do in our lives. Sin debilitates us. God restores us. And I think many times we miss that simple message. We're not living that message out in our own lives as Christians. We forget. It's not just Don't do sin because God doesn't want you to do it. It's a matter of it debilitates us. We We become like that lame man. We lose out when we sin. And God restores us to being those humans that he created in his image originally. And so it was a good, it's a great picture that way. That's the, that's the obvious messages in it. But also, we need to remember significantly, it is the result. That healing in that time was the result 
of the Spirit of God working through his people. Remember the apostles? Remember how they were, they were really an example for us of everything that God wanted in his church. And when God said, abide, obey, they were abiding. They were obeying. They were waiting on the Lord. And because of their obedience, because of their willingness to connect with God on a deep basis, all of a sudden, God starts working through his spirit in their lives. And this, of course, was a tremendous sign to the world of that time. This is what God intends for his church. This is what God intends for his people. That his grace be shown through, not just them, but that his grace be shown through us. And I think of my own life and I go, how many instances were there in my life this past week where grace was shown through me? Where grace was obviously flowing out of my life and well there were some things maybe uh, maybe not quite as incredible as a miraculous healing but you know what there are a lot of ways that God can show his grace his transforming power through us in this world but then oftentimes the question comes back to us and you know where the struggle is am I obediently abiding with him Am I walking in that way with him where I'm open to have him working through me? Where I become this overflowing vessel of his grace and I, I spill onto those people around me and, and impact their lives. Not that I become the center of attention, but that he does. That people go, wow, there's something different going on here in my interaction with that person. And so this is, this is what God desired for us. You shall be my witnesses. That's what Jesus Christ said. And if there's any time, any time, that the world needs a real witness, it's right now. It's right now. He needs a witness, a strong witness, in these struggling, troubling times. And well, we know that this was what Peter and John were able to do. That was a struggling time then. And they were able to be witnesses for Christ, for his gospel, for the glory of God in that moment as they were going into the temple. It wasn't just a random act of kindness, right? We hear that talked about. It wasn't simply a random act of kindness by good human beings, but it was a radical transformative work of God by people who've been transformed so that other people could be transformed and understand this. This is what God intended as he created people to live in the world. People who are overflowing with grace, his grace, and showing that grace to one another. Not a simple middle-of-the-road goodness, but a miraculous grace. And then you think about that. How can that happen in the world today? Well, I saw one example of it this past week. It was a testimony of a, a police, I was going to say policeman, a policewoman in Chicago. Uh, a, a black policewoman did this post because 
she had been struggling during this time. We know of the unrest. We know how, you know, there's not just the pandemic issue, but there's also the racial issue going on. And, And she did this post of how when she was on the way to work one day, she had to fill up for gas. She stopped to fill up for gas. And this young white guy comes up to her and he says, can I pray for you? And she just cried her way through this post saying, wow, God showed up. She's going to work. She's under all this pressure. Now, was a lame person healed? Was there a miracle there? There was grace. There was definitely a miracle of grace that some Christian person would step out of what is the norm for us as we go to work and do our things and go through our list for the day and live our life like everybody else, like human beings. This person stepped out, obviously did something uncomfortable. You don't often approach police officers in public places and ask to pray for them. And, and he prayed with this lady transformed her day she she did this video post and obviously affects people because they go wow that's that's the grace of god how many opportunities like that do we have would we have if we were ready for it if we're walking and saying, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm walking with you. Make, give me eyes to see. Help me to be aware of what's going on around me. Help me just to be living out your love, your goodness, your grace, so that I can be your witness because of the power of your spirit in my life. And so it's interesting, you know, there is something definitely here to be learned in chapter 3 of the book of Acts. And I say this uh, because it's a repeat, the exact same pattern that goes on in chapter 2. And you could say, well, you know, why repeat? Well, obviously, when there's repetition, it's because repetition is the mother of learning. Have you ever heard that? That something we need to learn, you know, when our parents harped at us, said the same thing again and again. It was something we need to learn. And when we as parents harp at our kids, uh, it's because there's something we want them to learn. And, and this is God speaking to us. Not just through a book of Acts, but through the events at the beginning of the history of the church. And so we see this repetition. In, in chapter 2, we see a sign a sermon, and what was the third one? Uh, a, a call to turn from sin. wasn't as obvious, was it? A sign, a sermon, and a call to turn from sin. Repent. Uh, we know in the first, in chapter two, it was, it was all about them speaking of the mighty works of God in all these different languages. And the people go, what's going on? And then Peter preaches a message and it's not just a, uh, here's a nice message about how good God is, but he gives that challenge at the end 
You guys are sinners. We're sinners. We need to turn from our sin. Repent. Same thing happens here. Now, last week we studied the sign. We looked at what happened as they were on their way to temple in an ordinary day, doing an ordinary activity, them and the lame man, and then God worked there. And now today, as we carry on in chapter 3, we're going to finish it, rather a a large portion, but we're not going to go into a lot of detail. We're going to finish it, and we're going to look at the sermon and then the call to turn from sin. And we're going to be reminded what it is we're all about, what it is we need to be living out, and what we need to be sharing with other people as we, as we finish out chapter, uh, chapter 3. So let's read together as we go through, and you see if you can pick out the three parts, uh, or the two parts that we're going to be dealing with, the sermon and then this this uh, call to turn from sin or to repent and just be aware of how God is speaking to you as I read. Verse 11 says, Well, he clung to Peter and John, the lame man. You can imagine him overwhelmed at being able to uh, walk again. All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Mary doesn't miss the opportunity to preach. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety or righteousness or goodness or holiness, we have made him to walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore. Turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from whom your brothers, or sorry, from your brothers, you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him 
also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So, as we move down through this passage, through this sermon, and through this call to turn from sin, to, to repent, we, we see a number of different things that, that I've, I've sort of tried to lay out here in the notes, uh, that not that but this. Or thi- and this is who he is, this is who we are, this is no surprise, and this is our salvation, or this is the solution. And we want to start out with this idea of not that, but this. And you're saying, well, what are you talking about? What's the that, what's the this? You see what happens in the first couple of verses as the people see this sign, as they see this miraculous healing, they're amazed, they're astounded, and they come to these guys and they're looking at them as the heroes. And what does Peter say? Don't look at us. Don't be surprised. Don't be amazed at us. Not, it's not that. It's not what you're thinking. It's not that we're powerful people. In fact, the apostles had to do this on different occasions. We see one occasion later on in Acts where the people were treating them or wanted to treat them like gods. And they tore their clothes and they said, Don't do that. I mean, that would be blasphemy to treat us like gods. Don't exalt us. Don't lift us up. This is about the power of God. This is about God working through Jesus Christ in this situation. And you know, we, we, as followers of Christ, filled with His Spirit, walking in this world, we need to become interpreters for people of what's going on. Most people, and many times, we just look at this life as something very natural, ordinary, normal events. Good things happen, wonderful things happen, and and we're sort of going, this must be my lucky day. Oh, things are working out for me today, and wow, isn't that great? And, you know, people do nice things or we do something good and people say, wow, you're a great person. And, and we just accept it. <laughs> I guess I am. I guess I am a great person. I guess we, we can be good people. We're Canadians after all. We're nice. And this is the way we start to think unfortunately, because we're not looking at the world ourselves through grace-changed eyes. We're not walking with the Lord through our days. And when people say, wow, that was a nice thing, or that was a good thing, we're turning it back to the Lord and saying, hey, that was a blessing. Or if maybe we did something, we say, well, this is the Lord's work. This is, I'm, I'm just working not in a self-righteous way, but, you know, I'm just loving as I've been loved by 
the Lord. And we could be changing these events from just simple good events to things that point to God's grace. Or on the other hand, interpreting situations, events that we're involved in that are negative events with God in mind. And we've got no shortage of events, do we? I mean, we can be talking to people about the the pandemic, the quarantine, what this world, and I can say this world, has gone through and is still going through right now. And saying, well, let's look at that. What could God be intending? Not that we have all the answers, but at least opening up the discussion. What could God be intending? What is he doing? What is this showing us? What could we learn? Or, or these racial issues that are going on right now. Bring the Lord into that. This is what happens. This is how we act when. And there are so many other things going on. There's the possibility of economic collapse. There's moral confusion in our world today. There's this overwhelming egocentric entitlement this selfishness which says i should be able to do whatever i want and we bring god into it and it changes everything now maybe you're saying wait a minute like me i don't even know what all the issues are how am i going to unpack these issues how am i going to peel away the layers and have all the answers i'm not Ravi Zacharias, I'm not, before it was Francis Schaeffer, do you guys remember his name? These thinkers that they looked at the culture and the times and they were able to, at a very deep level, express this is what's going on and this is why. And sometimes we feel insufficient for the task. How can I interpret things for other people or help people see what's really going on? Not just look at the superficial, oh, I don't like that. But say, oh, this is why. And this is what. And we say, well, I don't have a degree. I haven't studied sociology or psychology. or, And we haven't. But we can learn here where the answer begins. What does Peter do? He say, says, what's going on right here? It's not that. It's not just us being good human beings or bad human beings whatever the case may be in the situations we face but he says this is about Jesus Christ that's his starting point and that needs to be our starting point when we talk to people about what's going on now, it's not simply a, a, a platitude or, oh, this is all about Jesus sort of answer, but it's, what is my relationship with Jesus Christ? What is Jesus Christ's relationship to the world? And these are basic things that we know about as we walk with Him, as we're people who've been saved by His grace, as we understand His loving sacrifice for a world that rejects on a great scale 
what he's done for them and wanting to save them from sin. And so it's not about having all the answers. It's not about, boy, being an intellectual academic giant. It's all about living our lives with Christ and learning as we go along. And as well, those sort of things, those, those things that, oh, I wish I knew that, or I wish I had said this or that. We, we learn those things as we go along. As we look at what's being said, as we think about that in terms of truth, the truth of the Word of God, we become people that can interpret events. And not an arrogant sort of, I know what's going on, but simply, have you thought of this? Or this is how I see what's going on based on God's Word based on a truth that has been unchanging for centuries, unchanged for centuries, and has continued to foretell, and this is what's going to happen. And this is what's going to happen. And it all comes down to the person of Jesus Christ. So not this, but that. We think, is that too simplistic? Well, you know, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul spoke about this sort of thing when he was talking to the Corinthian church. He was a man who was educated. He was a man who was an effective communicator. He was even a man who was a great debater. I mean, I think he had a lawyer background in him. He had this ability to communicate truth with precision and and argue with people about, you're saying this, but that's not true. This is what is true. Look. But you know, when he talked to the Corinthian people in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, I want to read you a few verses of what he said his focus was. And I want us to understand, no matter what facts or what understanding we have or what intellectual ability we have this is where our message our interpretation our explanation begins he says and i chapter 2 1 corinthians 1 to 5 and when i when i came to you brothers i didn't come to proclaim to you the testimony of god with lofty speech or wisdom For I decided not to know anything or to know among you, sorry, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. He's not dissing wisdom. He's not saying it's intellectual understanding and academic ability are unimportant, but he says this is the foundation for that truth. And so when I came and spoke to you, I wanted to be clear that this is where the answers are. They're all in Christ. His gospel, his salvation, that is our starting point. So I want you all, I want us all to be convinced of this and to be confident in this. As we live our lives in the world, we do 
have something to say to those around us. We can be witnesses, even with the complexity of the problems, even with the number of voices that are being uh, that are that are shouting out different things, even though we don't know what all the issues are. We begin with Christ. We begin with who He is and what He has done for this world, and all of a sudden things start falling into place. We can be used. We can be used as his messengers to be witnesses in the world. Well, what, what are these answers? What is it all about? It's all about, first of all, this is who Jesus is as our Savior. Peter models this in the next couple of verses. And this isn't all cut and dry. You can't compartmentalize. You can't divide the verses. But I've given a few verses and shows how we sort of move through these different things. First of all, is Peter saying it's not that. It's not just... A great work done by people here. This is God at work. Then he goes into, this is who God is to us in this world. And starts to talk about Jesus Christ, our Savior. And Peter models this approach as, as well as he starts right back at the beginning. And we see, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus Christ. He's tying these people into truth. And he's saying, this is the God of our fathers. As far back as you can think, you know who this God is. And this is how God expressed himself to us in this time. It was this Jesus. It was Jesus Christ. Do you recognize it? And who was this Jesus Christ? Well, you know who he was as a man. And you delivered him to Pilate. You turned him in. He was crucified. But then in verse 14, he calls him the holy and righteous one. And those that's regarded by some as a messianic title for Jesus makes sense. The holy and righteous one. But even more so, if we go back into the Old Testament, the holy one is a title for God. For God himself. Several times in Isaiah, in the Psalms as well, when it's talking about God, it calls him the Holy One. And it would be anything but blasphemous to call Jesus, this man who had walked the earth at that time, the Holy One, if he was not on par, on par with God. If he was not God's expression to the world through his coming into the world living as he did and giving his life for us in salvation the spirit of God's working in their hearts if he's working in the hearts of those people listening to Peter at that time and Peter starts saying you know this Jesus who died you, you look at what happened here right now. This event, this is all about Jesus Christ. You look at what happened with him. He died on the cross for us to save us. But you were the one who delivered him for that death. The people would be 
wait a minute, it was us? This was God's gift to us? This was the long-awaited Messiah that we heard of, and we'll see further on down, prophecies even as far back as Moses, when Moses said, there will be one like me who comes. And he was talking about Jesus Christ, and we tossed him in the garbage pail. Have you ever done that? Have you ever thrown out something that was important? <laughs> An example came to my mind, and I want to share it with you because I wasn't guilty in this case, so I, I, <laughs> nothing on me. No, we had some friends, some, uh, some, some friends. It was shortly after Lisa and I got married, and they were coming by some tickets to the Messiah. We, we lived down in Windsor, near Windsor, and it was over in Detroit, and all of these modern, contemporary Christian artists were getting together to do the Messiah, and this was supposed to be really a big deal. And this older couple had four tickets to the young Messiah. And as they read about it, they realized, oh, this isn't really our thing. We're not really into contemporary Christian music. And so they were going to give those tickets to our friends and our friends were going to take us. And our friends waited uh, until like just a couple days before the event. And they said to the older couple, well, you said you were going to give us these tickets. Where are the tickets? And they said, oh, we dropped them off at your house weeks ago. Put them in through the mail slot. And they dropped in with all of that junk mail that you have. <laughs> and it all got thrown in the garbage. We did not go. <laughs> that is a tragedy. A very small one though. You think of these people looking forward to the Messiah. Not the Messiah the concert, but the Messiah. Looking forward to their salvation. And he comes. And worse than just tossing something, some inanimate object in the garbage, they, with heart and voice, delivered him to be crucified. They, they messed up. We messed up. Would they be saying, I messed up? Looking for hope in this world, oppressed by Rome, uh, wondering where God is, and he comes to us in the form of a promised Messiah. And we tossed him out. This is who Jesus was. He was the Holy One of God. And moves us right into this is who we are as sinners. This is who we are as sinners. If you look at down, you know, verse 15 and, and following, Peter says, you killed the author of life. God raised him from the dead and to this, we're witnesses. We saw him. 
We know who he was. We knew, know he came back to life. But you killed the author of life. And I was thinking about that, that title, the author of life. What does that mean completely? <laughs> we could think of it physically. John 1.1, 1, 1, all things were created through him. And nothing that was created was created without him. He was the instrument of physical life, this world. He was the author of life. But you could talk about him as well as the author of our spiritual life, the source. Hebrews 12, 2 talks about him being the author of our salvation. That's the King James. I'm trying to think of what it is in our present day translations, but the idea of him being the beginning, the source, the one from who all spiritual life came. He was the author of life. And you killed him. We killed him. It was because of our sin that he had to die. And so as we think about this, as we think about the, the profound responsibility that there is, we think about our responsibility in terms of Christ dying on the cross. In, in some senses, we could talk about his ignorance, and it does use that word. Peter uses that word. It was because of ignorance. At best, that's what we can say. We, we, we didn't know. We think about this world we live in, and we think about just the, the messages that are being taught that are totally devoid of an understanding of God as creator, as God sending a, a Savior into the world, coming into the world in the form of Jesus Christ. And they just sort of say, you know, do whatever you want, whatever feels good. Whatever you think will be best for you. And we think, a lot of ignorance in this world. A lot of people walking around in this world like we sprung up from nothing. And that we come from nothing and that we're going to nothing and that this world means and life means nothing. And it's kind of like just ignorance. And we can be affected by that and we can even propagate that ignorance living as though this means nothing. That's at best. At worst, Peter talks about wickedness. And you know, we can think of it as, you know, general response, uh, the crowd, um, the Jewish people in that time uh, deliver him up to Rome and Rome, the Gentile world, are right along there. They don't, they don't realize what they're doing. They're all blind to that. It's sort of like a group movement. There's this ignorance. But then when we think about it personally, we think about Jesus Christ in relationship to us, about God's desire to love me, a sinner. We think about it as wickedness, not simply in the sin that we do from day to day, but in the fact that that sin is against God, the God who loved us, the God who placed us here in the world and, and, and 
that wickedness is best exemplified in the fact that we probably would have been there saying, yeah, that guy makes me feel uncomfortable. He convicts me. Uh, He's such a good and holy and perfect man. And he says that we are sinners and that we need to repent. And I don't like that. We would have probably been saying, crucify him. Crucify him. Let the murderer go. Uh, I know I'm a gracious and loving person. Let's give this murderer another chance. And I'm not saying anything against grace, but sometimes we present what we say is grace, but it's just something that we want to feel better. Like, oh yeah, well at least I'm not as bad as him. I can show love to him. I can be forgiving for him. And in the end, we're throwing the hope that God presents to us in the garbage. Because we think we're better than God. This is who we are. We're sinners. But this whole situation, this whole situation is no surprise to God. We get into it in verse 18. And it says, But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. There are other things that we could pick out as we go down through there. There's also, in the first sermon, we highlight it because it's so clear. I think it's verse 23. It says, And this Jesus, of chapter 2, verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified, killed by the hands of lawless men. The idea being, yes, we are responsible for what we did, but this was no surprise to God. This was part of His plan to show His grace and His glory in this world through His sacrificial love. And we need to be overwhelmed by that. We need to understand that this was God's plan. He knew if I give these people a choice, they're going to choose wrong. And this is how it's going to play out. My son will suffer. And my son will save. God knew what he was doing. You know, sometimes we, even as Christian people, act like, wait a minute, suffering? Me? Suffering? It couldn't be part of God's plan. And yet God says, no, my plan always included suffering. We always think of this, oh, suffering, judgment of God. When we should be thinking, no, suffering... It's God's merciful prodding (laughs) to get us back on course. It's not that we're ever going to be able to escape suffering completely in this world. This world is full of sin. There will always be suffering. We need to see it for what it is. It's an alarm bell. Shows us when we're getting off track. It's an alarm bell that says this world is needs a savior 
this world needs the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And this has been God's plan from the beginning. So we need to understand that when there is suffering, that's okay. This world would tell us, hey, we do whatever we can to avoid any sort of hardship, any discomfort, no matter how small. And we, as Christians, who have a Savior who died in our place, who we're following, we need to say, you know what? There's going to be discomfort. But it's for God's glory. We're going to suffer. But it's for God's good. It's so that His grace can be seen by the world. And we know that there have been through the ages and even at this present time people who have been living the gospel out in parts of the world where they're even giving their lives as Christ did. And it's okay. It's not just us here from a distance saying okay, but we've heard testimonies from the lips of people who are under persecution saying it's okay because God has given them the grace to understand that this is a part of his plan this is a part of the gospel being spread and we unfortunately take the edge off of this gospel we blur the message we blur our understanding of God by saying No, no, no. Everything has to work out okay for us. It didn't for Christ. And Christ said, hey, if you're following me, you're coming after me, you're going to face a lot of the same things I faced, the, the, the struggle in a world filled with sin. And it's a part of God's plan. So that His glory can be seen. And so we need to understand that we need to align our lives, our thinking with God's. Last point, this is the only solution. This is the only salvation that we align ourselves with God's way of thinking. We, we get down, well, we, I'm going to pick and choose a couple verses here. Uh, back to toward the beginning, verse 16, it says, and his name, Peter says, his name, by faith in his name, he's made this man strong whom you see and know. So he saved this man from this debilitating uh, injury or, or sickness where he could not walk and he's given this man perfect health in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ Salvation in Him is the only salvation. Down to the very end of the passage we're looking at, verse 26, it says, God having raised up His servant, His Son, His Savior, Jesus Christ, sent Him to you first. Talking specifically to the Jewish people here. To bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. It's repentance. That's what we're talking about. We talk about Turning to God, 
Repentance is that. It's turning away from our own way of thinking, turning away from our sin, turning away from this attitude that I get what I want, I do things in my way to saying, wait a second, that's a lie. God is true. He's the creator. He knows what's going on. He knows my heart. And he sent a savior on my behalf. And this is our only hope. It's Christ. It's Christ. And the more that we understand that it's all about Jesus Christ, the more sense this life will make. The more we'll be able to communicate in the, in the events of this world, the events of our lives, whether they be great, general, expansive events, or personal, one-on-one things that we're dealing with people at work or wherever, that we'll be able to infuse truth, that we'll be able to share that gospel as we talk about what Christ means to us, about how he's our savior, about how he's changed the way we look at life and we understand that there is hope because God had a plan, has a plan, is working out that plan in our lives. And we can bring clarity where there's confusion because we talk in a knowing way, in an understanding way, about Christ being the center of everything. We can be his witnesses. I want to turn your attention as we close to a passage in Colossians chapter 1. You might want to mark this down and read it later again. Colossians 1, 15 to 20, where it says, Paul talking about the, the preeminence of Jesus Christ, he says, He is the image of the invisible God. That part of the Trinity that came into this world that everybody could see, they could touch, they could understand. He's the firstborn of all creation. The source, the author. For by Him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him And for him, and everything that goes on in this world is about him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of the cross do we understand that today i think we do to a certain extent that's why you're here to worship christ Can we understand that in a more profound way, in a more personal way, as we live this life, as we walk with Him, as we abide in Him on a daily basis? Yeah, we can. 
can we overflow with that understanding in this world? And like Peter and John in this instance, highlight grace by seeing, by pointing out how Christ has made a difference in our lives and in the events that are going on around us. Yes, we can. This world needs a witness. This world needs a testimony of who Christ is and what He's done. It's not just sharing the gospel. It's truth. It's the hope of the world. We enjoy it. Let's live it. And let's share it with the world. Father, help us. Help us, first of all, to know you better, to understand this truth as it applies to our lives and help us to live it out in a very real way in the midst of all that is really going on in this world, the mess that there is around us. Lord, we pray that in the midst of the struggle with sin and suffering, that your glory would be seen through us because of Jesus.